this is very me. You get the Muppets reflected in a map of Hyrule. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a perfect time to start recording. Hi! <laughs> Welcome to the Extra and Ordinary, a podcast where extra people talk on ordinary media. My name is Addison. I'm your host, as always. And returning, we have John. Hi. And... For a very special new guest to the podcast, we have Danny. Hi, Danny. Hey there. All right. How is everyone doing today? Or tonight? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Trying to save a, save a guy at work, but not by too much. That's that's good. It's not by too much. Oh, yeah, I do see Statler and Waldorf. Yeah. No, they're yeah. doing the Marley so and Marley like, song right like now. the Marley and Marley thing in the background. It's, Exactly what they're doing, which is one of my favorite numbers in the movie. It used to be so scary to me when I was a kid. It's it's supposed to be. There's two dead guys rattling chains in your face. Yeah. Dead as a doornail, and then an entire paragraph explains the doornail is particularly dead. <laughs> so for uh, everyone joining in, Danny has some of an expertise in literature, uh, masters in English, and... Uh, is there a follow-up on the medievalology? Well, the master's is uh, technically in medieval literature studies, but uh, I did a lot of uh, Victorian and uh, and romantic literature uh, as well, and Dickens happens to be one of my favorites. Yep, and uh, I've, I believe I recall you saying that this movie is one of the most accurate portrayals of the Dickens novel. Oh, yeah, it's it's basically like a perfect adaptation because it's satirical. It uh, it still includes the blinding majority of the social criticism that, that Dickens was so famous for. And uh, it's really accessible. Like, like you start watching, you start watching a Muppet Christmas Carol, like long before you're ready to, to, to really delve into it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, something charming that anybody, anybody can really get behind. One of the things that really struck me on this rewatch was um, the depth of using Gonzo and Rizzo as narrators, uh, explicitly yeah. making Gonzo the omniscient narrator, which he just flat out says, and making Rizzo his snarky, lovable sidekick. Uh, and they literally bring up in conversation how dark the subject matter is. Yeah, how so it does. They, uh, spooky. Yeah, it's, it's the closest to verbal and emotional hand-holding that you can get in a movie. And they do it expertly without being condescending, because they're just partially a part of the story, um, especially Rizzo. He's, he's subject to whatever whatever random nonsense happens. Yeah, he's well, he's the audience. He's Rizzo, mm -hmm. us, you know, but, but without the, the sort of elimination, uh, you know, of, of the, the television screen, he's experiencing it the same way that, that we are. He's hearing the story for the first time. I actually love that you bring up the, uh, the fact that Gonzo calls it, uh, Gonzo as Dickens calls himself omniscient as a narrator, because that is where like a lot of, uh, a lot of kids from like our generation actually learn the word omniscient. <laughs> I remember that to Neil, to my husband the other day when we were watching it, like for like, our annual first watch and I was like, Oh mission. They taught you they taught you what that word meant without spoon feeding you and it was great. Yeah, they were really good at being comforting while not being condescending. Yeah. Uh, it's 
That was that was beautiful. Gonzo was kind of a weird choice, but also somehow the perfect choice. Like if someone says describe Charles Dickens to you, Gonzo does not pop into your head. No. No, but, not, not at all. He was a bit of a weirdo, but not like that. Like he's a very different sort of weirdo. <laughs> but somehow, despite how not appropriate that is, it ended up perfect. And I don't I don't know why Gonzo is just the perfect narrator, but he is. He's a storyteller. I think maybe it's partially because he just, as a person, is never phased by anything. Yeah. Uh, like, he's been depressed in maybe a movie or two for really solid existential reasons. But the other time, he's either excited or nonchalant. It's yeah, he's not easily discouraged, and he's, he, he very much, like, rolls with the punches, which I guess yeah. telling a story uh, where we're expected to mix the, the mix. Muppets, the Victorian, the Victorian holiday season, and ghosts—like that's what's gonna happen. Like you've got to just go with it. <laughs> does have the disposition of an omniscient immortal. Like before this movie, even he still kind of has the disposition of an omniscient immortal. Mostly nonchalant, very rarely phased, and if he ever gets phased by anything, it's existential depression. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of a he's a delighted outsider because he's mm-hmm. like, like they they even have like movies about about Gonzo and like and his, his like what his origin story is. But he's an he's an outsider who's like gotten very comfortable like just like kind of uh, embracing embracing wherever he's at. This actually is a great segue to uh, one of Addison's uh, roundtable questions: "Is what is what are, you, what are what are your top three favorite things about the Muppets?" And my top favorite thing is that Gonzo is just defined as a whatever. <laughs> Literally, no one knows. He doesn't know, and everyone's just cool with it. They just look at him and he's like he's a um, and Gonzo goes, "Yeah, what whatever." And then they all just move on. They're like, okay, that's that's an acceptable enough answer. <laughs> yeah. And, like, aside from that just being funny, weird, and accepting, like, in modern day, when everyone's getting more socially aware of people in weird positions, it's nice that there's been that little simple message pushed by the Muppets for however many years, for yes. forever. Just, like, if, if you don't understand what someone is, just go with what they tell you, and everything's fine. Just... He's a whatever. It's it's cool. Society would be so much better if, like, everyone went yeah. by that. We need to be more like the Muppets as a society. Oh, yes. Maybe a little cleaner. They, they do make a mess in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but generally, we need to be more like the Muppets. I agree. I that's, like, that's like one of the the best things about the the whole Muppet universe is like they're like accepting accepting of all circumstances. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if you're a pig, a Swedish chef, or whatever that loves the chicken. It's everyone. Everyone's in. All right, so that's my top one. One one of you two pick your top one, and we'll just keep going about things we love about the Muppets. Okay. Um, so why don't you go ahead? I feel like we've been talking a lot about. <laughs> no, here's the thing. Like you guys have been talking, but I'm like super entertained. <laughs> I'm just like I know this is my podcast and I should be contributing, but like these guys are really <laughs> fun to listen to. So um, so something about me, um, 
The Muppets were not really a thing when I was a child. I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s when there wasn't a lot of Muppets media going around. Tragically. Tragically. So, the first time I watched a Muppet movie, I was 19. Oh, wow. That's really, like, really far, far down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It happened for a lot of people. If you just didn't get your parents showing you old movies and you were in the right age range, some people just had the Muppets fly right on by. We go, we go what, 15 years at a time without Muppets media for a while there? Yeah, I guess that's tragic. Yeah, so it just was not prevalent when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not something I ever watched. Um, it was always something I was fascinated about but didn't have access to until I was like 19 when the reboot of the Muppets movie came out. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was actually my first ever Muppets movie. That's so funny. John, I think you and I went to see that together. With oh, we had a whole group. Of people. We had a big, like, oh, uh, like, Cora was in town. We went on Thanksgiving, I think. And we were all, like, singing Muppet songs as we came out. Like, we were so excited for this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're just so happy the reboot was actually good. Yeah. Oh, yes. That was my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> We waited so long, it was so weird that Jason Siegel was determined to make a Muppets movie, and then it came out, and like, oh my god, he absolutely understands the Muppets. That was a great Muppets movie. Yeah, Jason Siegel really, like, gets the tonality of it. Like, my favorite thing about the Muppets is I really, really love, love high production value for extremely silly shit. Oh, yeah. I know! Like, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf is, like, one of the funniest things I've ever seen just because of production value. And so the Muppets is, like, very much in that line. And it's always, like, really positive and energetic. And it it doesn't, it's not afraid of sarcasm and it's not afraid of, like, dark themes and, and spooky characters or whatever. But it is always, like, like, a really, like, genuine experience. Yeah. And, um, like... The Henson's, the Henson Company, is the grand gold star standard for puppetry. Like they're not just the most popular. Like, I have talked to people in puppeteering, and they're like, "No, no, that's they're really good. They never slouch on production value." Which is going to be one of my top three things I love about the Muppets is that the the production company of the Muppets just never slouches on production value at all. There's a scene in this movie where Rizzo falls down a chimney and lands on a goose and they have to animate part of that and hide an entire puppeteer that makes a rat dance on a rotating goose with fire beneath it. Like (laughs) this movie is not recent. That was a lot of effort to do. Yeah. That was really silly joke. uh, The thing that I, that I noticed this last watch was, um, when the bookkeepers are all putting uh, putting everything away and like closing up the the uh, you know the the money counter place for uh, for Christmas and like they have like all of these like like funny little like seesaw devices <laughs> where they're like throwing each other to like get the get the blinds down. Oh, yeah. like, it's so cute. Stack of books on like a little wobbly rat and whatnot. And, 
it would, and like I was thinking about how long it must have taken to do each of those scenes. Mm-hmm. And they just they do that in everything. This quick quick short segue. I promise it'll actually be short. Um, <laughs> because Henson Company, more than this movie, um, at one point did a uh, sci-fi series that is my absolute favorite sci-fi series called Fart Escape. And it's in a completely different vein from the Muppets. It is dark, scary, psychologically straining for the characters, um, and very realistic in a lot of in a lot of ways of how everyone handles the absurd sci-fi premise. And it's done by Jim Henson Productions. Um, every every creature that isn't done with makeup is Henson. And like I said, for a weird little sci-fi show, they don't slouch on production value at all. They ace it every time, uh, and I just love that they were not afraid to branch out from what had been a really weird niche kids movie that's great for adults zone and try and do a sci-fi series of all things, and they did, and the production value was awesome, and the writing was awesome, and you got all of that Henson Gold Star standard stuff that you could possibly want in a sci-fi series, and so that's... So I love pretty much everything the Henson Company has done is pretty much the short version of that. <sighs> well, I think that you you bring up a good point about uh, the Muppets being, uh, or, or in the, the Jim Henson Company in general, being really, like, about audience accept- accessibility. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, all of the Muppets movies are something that you could very reasonably watch with a 3-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 23-year-old, and none of you is going to want to kill yourself by the end of it. (laughs) Good, good entertainment all around, you know? There is not, there is not an age where you should hate the Muppets. Right. If you do, you're already dead. That age is dead. Yes. It's zero to dead. Like, it's fine. If a baby watches it, it's great. There's a lot of motions on screen, lots of colors. It's stimulating zero zero to dead that's the appropriate age range for muppets yeah (laughs) i agree um i you know what i could talk about my love of the muppets all night it's kind of what we're here for and we need to focus on the movie like a little bit yeah um so did i actually say the title of the movie we're talking about uh, I'm not sure we ever did. No. We, I think our intro was Marley and Marley. Yes. <laughs> so, um, if you... Everyone, welcome to our podcast for A Muppet Christmas Carol. 15 minutes in. If you figured that out yet, I'm sure you've either already did or you're incredibly, irrevocably confused. <laughs> um, either way, I hope you're having fun. We are. Okay, so yes, we are discussing a Muppets Christmas Let's see, Carol. I think we've got one more round of things we love about Muppets slash this movie. Yeah, go for it. And I've rambled too much. I've already covered so many different things I love about the Muppets. We've really like, kind of gone out of order, just like, we love everything. We generally yes. love everything about the, about the Muppets. We really do. I uh, I do like especially like to, to try and bring bring a favorite Muppet thing back around to the the movie at hand. I really love that they have made this like piece of classic literature that is so incredibly influential on like pretty much all of Western uh, all, all all of Western Christmas celebration. 
you know, and they've made it, they've made it accessible and fun from like, you know, from, from a very young age, you know, they've made it easy to understand. Not that a Christmas Carol, the original story is, is difficult to understand. It's about, a it's a, it's about a, it's, it's at about a one on a scale of one to 10, but, uh, you know, because it's, it's largely allegorical, but it was a huge deal. Uh, a Christmas Carol has never been out of print since it was originally published. Wow. Yeah. All and, thanks to the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the accessibility thing, I think one of the, um, I wrote this down the last time I watched the movie just for this, is, uh, and then we touched on it earlier, is how good they are at mitigating the darkness, but not shying away from it. Um, <clears throat> they literally, when they get to the dark part of the movie, when they're getting to, you know, some of the nasty stuff that Scrooge has in, in store form, they literally have a conversation of like, won't this traumatize the kids? And Gandhi goes, just, ah, no, it won't. it's fine. It's culture. It doesn't count. <laughs> But then later they, they they piece out like uh, they do. Uh, you know yeah. your your narrators uh the, the narrators leave the audience to to experience uh, to experience this like the ultimate lesson of the of the story without mm -hmm. the, without like the safety net. And that's and that's great as a narrative device because Scrooge is supposed to feel alone and scared he's supposed to be terrified and unable to find solace and removing the nice calm hand-holding helpful narrators is a great way to do that oh yeah um, which in the original book was pretty much handled by death or well not death but the ghost of christmas future who seems a lot like death um never really talking to Scrooge. So he doesn't get anything to argue with. He doesn't get anything to calm him. He doesn't get any affirmations. Right. He's and just, there's, yeah, there's zero comic relief. Like that's like, that's the serious meat of the, of what is otherwise a pretty lighthearted, you know, uh, uh, story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a great, it's kind of an adaptation, kind of a furthering of the way it was originally told. It's it's taking a narrative device that they added in for the sake of the movie and taking it away with specific intent to emphasize the tone of how the book was. And I just love that's just such a beautifully educated Muppet thing to do. Yeah, it was it's it was like very it was very neatly done, I think, especially because uh you know, with like the ghost of Christmas present, they made him um so jolly. Well, they made him like a little bit jollier um than uh than than in the in the actual text. In the actual text, he has like he has wanton ignorance, which are these two like hideous like deformed like children underneath his robes. And when Scrooge notices, uh, Miss Scrooge notices towards the end of their time together, like he's like, I hate to, I don't want to bother you. I'm so I'm so sorry. Forgive me. You have a claw coming out of your row. What's happening there? What what is that? <laughs> and, and so the, the the ghost of Christmas present sort of opens his robes and he's like, Oh yeah, these are wanton ignorance. They're these hideous children's and they belong to mankind. And like it's this really like so it's like abrupt, severe thing. And I think that like they sort it's of pretty like, heavy-handed. Yeah, they allude to it in the Muppet version where, uh, where, where the ghost of Christmas present sort of quote parrots back something that Scrooge said 
earlier in the earlier in or, the yeah, or is confused on how he knows it. Who yeah. told you that? Like you did something like, um, well, if they're gonna die, then they better get 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 it over and done with and decrease the surplus population. And you're like, whoa, Ghost of Christmas Present, that was a little harsh. That was really dark for a Jolly Santa kind of figure. But that's <laughs> where that comes from. Is like, you need you you're supposed to you know you're supposed to be grateful for the things that you have and be loving and joyous and caring. But you're also supposed to remember that the world is an ugly place and that you can't nurture want and ignorance in your in your society and expect things to improve. Yeah. Yes. That's. Perfect. That might have kind of hurt the accessibility to children thing a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was that's one weird moment in the in the film though, isn't it? Like that's where where it gets a little bizarre. It takes like a weird little left turn. Well, and they they make a point to that because they, they hold most of that off to the end, where they keep most of his ignorance uh, annotations pretty pretty lighthearted, uh, except in get to the line where you said where he just parrots back the horrific things scrooge said earlier like oh no all the homeless people should die yeah and they they kind of they're good about separating that from the jolly christmas start and kind of getting to like we're winding down now because the temperature is about to drop yeah the lights are about to go down <laughs> Know, it's that little bit of like narrative foreshadowing like the next the next thing that happens isn't going to be cute and jolly mm -hmm. yes yeah. so um going back to gonzo as a narrative device simply because i love that <laughs> i love how seamless they do that through most of the movie and then when the ghost of christmas uh past shows up and take Scrooge off on his magical journey, rather than followed by some elegant narrative device, Gonzo whips out a freaking grappling hook <laughs> and just hooks onto them. Yeah, onto this, like, very delicate little ghost girl. <laughs> like, yeah. like, for a Muppet, she's, like, very, like, pretty and ethereal, and he's just like, yeah. Like, yeah, I think he hooks Scrooge's leg or something. Yeah. The ghost, ghost just hauls them off, and God, it's... It's so very gonzo, but it, it's just stood out so much in the movie. Of all these smooth, elegant transli uh, transitions, it's no hook, whoosh, and off they go. Oh. It's just another more reason to love gonzo as a narrative device. And he, well, he makes for those, those really, like, great transitions and kind of, like, breaks in between major scenes, like... The whole thing with like them trying to get through the fence and Rizzo trying to get his jelly beans <laughs> and stuff, where it's like it's it's like this little this little break that helps yeah. uh, it helps like set up set up a, into a smoother transition into into the next you know the next thing and then the next thing. Yeah, they're very good at that. Just <laughs> I remember the funniest thing as a kid is the scene where Gonzo's trying to look through the window. And it's too musty, so he picks up Rizzo and uses him to wipe down the window. And Rizzo just goes, thanks for making me a part of this. That De definitely shaped part of my relationship with sarcasm growing up. He was sarcastic? <laughs> I always loved Rizzo. Gunzo and Rizzo were definitely some of my favorites. Once the Muppets Tonight launched... Rizzo was a relatively young one, but I absolutely love Rizzo. He is freaking great. And Pepe. 
Yeah, Rizzo is one of my favorites, and Uncle Dudley is another one of my favorites. But he doesn't uh, he doesn't show up in like any of the '90s movies. So like yeah. your Muppet Treasure Island and your Muppet Christmas Carol and like that sort of thing, he's not there, which I think is a little odd because I feel like he would be a good fit. Right, he's kind of a caricature of a British villain in a book about orphans, which is weird because this movie is about as close to that as you can get. I mean, there's just a few orphans, but still, <laughs> he is the British, 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 British character, yeah. and he's not in the Dickens novel movie. They just kind of forgot about him, I guess. I like. I was talking with Elizabeth about that earlier. Of, I, maybe it was uh, originally supposed to be deadly as Scrooge, and uh, he was snubbed for Michael Caine. And I mean that's fair. Michael Caine is easily the best seventies or Scrooge I've ever seen in oh, my yes. life. And uh, since Daddy said he's just the best Scrooge, but one of my favorite parts about him is Scrooge is like all of the other people are kind of acting like they're in a Muppets movie. And it's like Michael Caine was told to act like he was Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. yeah. He is in a different movie than everyone else. And, and it's all on purpose. in with a bunch of Muppets. I did wonder about that. I was like, like, especially uh, the scene, like, he has this scene at the beginning where, like, Bean Bunny, who's, like, easily the cutest Muppet, oh, regardless of your preferences of Muppet, Muppet, like, Bean Bunny is the very cutest Muppet that has ever Muppeted. Mm-hmm. And so he's, like, sad, and he's been yelled at, and he's, after singing his He was a Christmas caroler. Yeah, and what? he walks away, and then... Michael Caine or Ebenezer Scrooge like opens up the door and at him just as hard as he can and I was like I wonder how Michael Caine had to do that without like just cracking up and losing his shit because he's still like being like being abusive to this tiny cute little puppet. (laughs) Making the movie, I don't think it could possibly be the same as like when uh, when people are doing like talk show stuff or whatever with the Muppets because. Everyone's very good uh, in, like, the live show setting mm-hmm. of not breaking character and of, like, always, like, the Muppets are, are very alive. They're real people. In all of but, those. But, like, it can't be the same when you're filming when you're filming with them, when you're doing a production like that. Yeah. I love, um, oh, God, I'm going to misquote it horribly. But there was some sort of talk show interview with Kermit where they ask him, What's the difference between difference between you and uh, a puppet of a frog? And he goes, "Well, that's simple. That they're a puppet of a frog, and I'm just a real life talking frog." <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And everyone just sort of like goes along. Like, okay, yeah, like, that's the rule of the Muppets: is that they are real people. It's <laughs> just just what they are. Yes. That's the same thing is because they're actors, they're voice actors, and puppeteers. They do not break character, like typically speaking, and so. You will see all of the time, you'll see pictures of, of people like you, like talk show, like Seth Meyers. Seth Meyers has one that I absolutely love where like this picture was taken off like like when they were between cuts and he is talking very seriously to Kermit and like his dude is, <laughs> is, is underneath Kermit, but he's like, he's, his attention is like really focused on, yeah. on Kermit because they're, they're, like, you forget, that forget that boundary. You forget that like, that that's like a, a sort of uh, extra extra space in between you and, mm-hmm. and voice actor. They're they're just great at selling it. And uh, um, one of my 
just one of the greatest things about that is that Muppet outtakes exist. I know. Yeah. It's like you said, they stay in character. They are fully in character. They are immersed. They have the movements tied to their mouths. And, like, it's not something – it's not like choreography where they practiced it for each scene. They have learned the puppetry well enough to just do it offhand because yeah. they're just very, very good at what they do. And because of that, when they screw up a scene, they'll just keep going as the puppet or the Muppet. Yeah, just, oh, my God, yeah, I just, just committed a cardinal sin. Um, yeah, but they'll just keep going as the Muppet and won't won't stop for anything. And because of that, we have Muppet outtakes. And that's just great. Uh, there, I think there are Muppet outtakes for Christmas Carol, right? Oh, I've never seen them. Yeah, I, I have seen I think we've only seen it for the '70s movies and maybe some of the shows, okay. but I haven't. A lot in the shows, and there's like a lot in like um like a lot of modern stuff that they do, like where they where they do like like Christmas specials and things. Music like videos that. and stuff. Which, by the way, if you haven't seen the Muppet Christmas special that they did a couple of years ago with Lady Gaga, it is a pure unmitigated delight. Oh, I love it. It is just the best thing. <laughs> Didn't he do something recently with, like, well, just semi-recently, and it was recently in the annual sense of, like, a music video with CeeLo or something that had, like, backstory and everything? That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that happened. That like something the Muppets would do. I feel like I feel like no one would say no to the Muppets. Um, oh, God, no. If I was famous, I would seek them out. I would pull a full Jason Siegel. <laughs> I'd go to the studio and be like, there's one thing I need from you, and it's to be heavily involved in a new Muppets movie. And there will be Rizzo in it this time. Yes. I do but love Rizzo. I was upset about that in the new movie that he got no screen time. Like I said, he's one of my favorites. He's relatively young for a Muppet, but he just pairs along Pepe and Gonzo so well. Yeah, is uh he is the sarcastic, snarky, but still kind-hearted Muppet, which honestly, now that I think about it, describes a lot of my friends. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> snarky, sarcastic, and kind-hearted. That's oh my god, that is all your friends. Yeah, that's, that's, it, yeah, yeah. It's like everyone's like like different levels of like kind of goofy and like, like goofy and mean-spirited. But yeah, Riz, Rizzo pe- prepped me for you. <laughs> the Muppets, they prepare you for real life. <laughs> Muppets. They're very approachable. And again, it's like it's a cast of like ultimate diversity and ultimate acceptance. It's not tolerance, it's absolute acceptance. There is like nothing that ever ruffles them for more than like the 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 perfect comedic amount of time for like Kermit to do that like downward triangle face. <laughs> he's, the kid, he's the straight man, so he can he can get away with being like, "What the hell is this?" Okay, we're just gonna go with it. It's fine. We'll do. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, they, Kermit used to be a lot more sarcastic too. I remember one of my favorite lines in the original Muppet movie was Kermit and uh, Fozzie in the car, and uh, Electric Mayhem repainted their their vehicle. And Fuzzy goes, I don't know how to thank you guys. And Kermit goes, I don't know why to thank you guys. <laughs> oh, but, you know, they, they accept everyone, uh, even Big Mean Carl. Aww. You remember Big Mean Carl? He's the one who eats small cute things on their TV show. 
Yeah, I think Dean Bunny has been like his victim a number of times. <laughs> yeah. Dean the Bunny Eater. Yeah, yeah. There's there's Big Mean Carl, and there's Sweetums, who's like another like oh, I love very like giant giant monster, uh, you know, sort of dude, and like they put they all like put up with and even love Miss Piggy, even though she's yep. probably the biggest monster of them all. If we're being perfectly honest, like, it's she is the quintessential diva. Yeah, like she's like she's the original character to have come up with that. Sometimes I get people's names wrong on purpose so they don't get too big for their britches. That was not Ron Swanson. That is straight up Miss Piggy. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. That is Yep. But that's also one of the things I love about this movie in specific, is this is the only movie where Miss Piggy's character flaws are kind of dropped out and she's just kind of loud and awesome. Yeah, she yes. is. Like she's she's super supportive of, uh-huh. of her men, of of her husband, and she's like uh, her, she's the best line in that entire movie. I think when he's talking, which yes. yeah, he's he's like building up to like, well, you weren't at work, and as a result, I'm gonna do this, and she's like, I'm gonna give you a piece of my mind, and he's like, and I'm going to raise your pay your pay, and she says, and I'm gonna raise you right off the pavement. Yes. <laughs> yes. Best line in the movie. By far. <laughs> I think and that's like just, that quintessential piggy too, because like she is a diva, but at her core she is very loving and supportive. Yeah. yeah in this movie, it's just all highlighted. She didn't do all that because she was upset uh, because of herself. She was doing that purely to defend Kermit and how she was upset about how this mean man was treating her favorite person. And she was gonna have none of it. And it was the, this is one of the best portrayals of her as the most lovable diva, where she's like, oh no, she's over the top, but she will fight people for you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she will, I'm pretty sure, like, if any of the Muppets were, um, were murderers. She'd hide the bodies. She'd hide the bodies. Oh yeah. yeah. She'd kill the bodies and then hide the bodies. In the reboot, she straight up kidnaps Jack Black. They have a very long conversation about it. They do, yeah. They do. <laughs> I love that. I'll take you all in the show by kidnapping Jack Black. And then they say kidnapping Jack Black a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Piggy, Miss Piggy will kidnap Jack Black to help her friends. We know this. It's documented. <laughs> who, who wouldn't kidnap Jack Black? I mean, well, I feel like you would have to. I feel like most of the time, if you offered Jack Black free beer, he'd show up. Yeah. Or if you just gave him a weird enough script. I feel like that's how he's determining his career now. Because he was like in a, uh, a house with a clock in its walls. And I'm pretty sure, like that and Goosebumps, I'm pretty sure Jack Black's career is entirely determined now by reading the script and goes, well, that's weird as shit. I'm in. <laughs> That's that's the only driving force in his career right now. Is yeah, that weird? Awesome. Sure, I'm on board. Playing, uh, he ended up playing R.L. Stein and in, in the yeah. Ghostbusters movies, didn't he? Which is he super weird. I actually went to uh, high school with a dude who was like one of the zombies in that. He's also a regular zombie in The Walking Dead, which is like two very different. That's weird. I know a guy who's regularly a zombie on The Walking Dead. I know like ten guys who are well, regularly that's... zombies in The Walking Dead. I mean, it is, are we, we all just like two degrees from The Walking Dead? Yes. 
Yeah, this is just Atlanta. Two degrees of separation from The Walking Dead. You definitely are only two degrees away from The Walking Dead. doesn't matter. You could know three people. You're two degrees away from The Walking Dead. Someone has been an extra in The Walking Dead. Give me a second. My cat is eating. I've dated at least three people who have been extras on The Walking Dead. Dated? Yes. Wow, there's a high market saturation of people who have been on The Walking Dead. (laughs) They need a lot of extras for those things. They really do. It's true. Part of zombies. Have little armies at some point. Uh, two of them were zombies. One was a part of Negan's gang when he uh, gives Lucille, um, takes Lucille out on Glenn. Ooh, that's that's a hard moment to tell your friends to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on The Walking Dead. Like, I know, I know what's going on in the foreground is way more important, but like, I'm back there. I'm in the corner. Just yeah. You're going to want to look away, and this is where you look away too. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to want to watch us in the middle of the screen. So look at the back right, because that's where I am. You can see me wincing in this one because why wouldn't I? Yeah, so Muppets. So Muppets. Muppets. Yeah, from Jack Black to The Walking Dead. That was a weird, weird segue. But everything is two degrees away from The Walking Dead. This is going to be a thing we're going to have to check with now. Is whatever we review, is it is it two degrees away from The Walking Dead? It's ambitious, but I feel like it can happen. I think we would cover every every person on planet Earth if we did three degrees. Yeah. I think two degrees may be possible. <laughs> it's ambitious. We may have to do some thorough checking, but I feel like two degrees is possible. Yes. So I'm going to go on a little completely random tangent, which I know is horribly out of character for me. Please. Uh, yes. Um One of the things I've always loved about the Muppets and that they definitely slipped into this movie was when they do occasionally random, really dark jokes that the kids aren't going to catch. Until they're, like, our age? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, they're either too complicated. not to the adults who are watching, who probably have to watch each of these movies a number of times throughout the season. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, like, there's two segments where it's either too complicated or too fast that the kids aren't going to catch it. And one is a, a fr- when they're doing the whole opening sequence, there's a fruit cart that rolls by, and an orphan jumps on the back and like steals a head of cabbage or something, and it's like it's kind of quiet, but it's literally going, "Help me! I'm being stolen! Help me! Help me!" And it's literally screaming for someone to help it because it's being kidnapped, stolen, <laughs> which raises some weird questions because clearly the orphan's going to eat it which it's dark enough when your fruit talks and your vegetables talk, but even more so that the head of lettuce preferred to be sold and then eaten as opposed to stolen and eaten. I mean, that, I guess, gives it some, like, sense of, of value or meaning. Like, not, like there is no meaning in life. It's Life is meaningless. It's what you, like, you have to create your meaning. It is not provided for you. So that's clearly how that head of cabbage was choosing to assign value to its life. My no husband one is giving me the weirdest look. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible thing to say in a Muppet podcast. <laughs> it has no meaning. The cabbage... 
Yeah. Yeah. Every, no one panics so long as everything goes according to plan, especially the cabbage. And they, Rizzo has a moment. Story that is a very English sort of like stiff upper lip kind of mentality. Like I know what I'm meant for, and I'm meant to be sold, and I will be sold. <laughs> And uh, there's a point where the similar context happens later where Rizzo opens a cabinet and there's singing fruit in there and says, nope, Mom always said to never eat singing fruit, which implies that talking fruit is totally fine. So people in the Muppet world, including the Muppets, regularly eat talking food. So do you think that there's like a premium on talking food? Because in the beginning they're they're uh, selling apples, and none of those apples are are talking Muppet apples. Like there's no apple cider sing along or anything like that. They're just like, <laughs> they're just like like Rizzo's like wolfing them down to what was it to, to create scarcity? Like <laughs> yeah, it's creating demand or something for the market. Yeah, um, so maybe like maybe there's a premium on on talking food, or maybe it's the other way around. It's like you, like you pay the premium not to have to look your food in the eye and like sing a song with it before you eat it. I think um, I think the talking food is imported from Sweden <coughs> because the Swedish chef always has talking food. He does always have talking food, but they speak much better English than he does. <laughs> they have their education. But doesn't literally everyone? I mean, that's true. He is my, the Swedish chef is one of my favorites because my dad is a chef, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, Birdzilla. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the second time Birdzilla has come up on the podcast. No, um... We told the story of Birdzilla for thanks for a Thanksgiving episode. Oh, I did. And I now, did in our Christmas episode, we are talking to the daughter of the one who made Birdzilla. The daughter of the guy who does Birdzilla. So, like, John, uh, John was, like, crucial to Birdzilla this year. Like, my dad had so In the most medial of ways. It was very helpful because I carried the heavy things. <laughs> I didn't do any of the smart, difficult things. That was all Danny. <laughs> I just, I carried the heavy things because that's what I'm good for. <laughs> like the finished roast weighs like over 60 pounds. It's heavy. <laughs> it was legitimately heavy things. It was a legitimate need. I had to take that thing up and down stairs about four times yeah. before we were done with it. But it was worth it. Still worth it. We have come full circle. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I know who you need to talk to if you want to know how to cook a turkey. <laughs> we're, we uh, we grilled our Thanksgiving turkey, and we're going to grill our Christmas turkey, too, I think. Ooh, I'm all for that. So good. You know I feel about my grilling. favorite thing to do with turkey. Like, it, like my husband, uh, Neil, made grilled the turkey for Thanksgiving, and it was like the best turkey I've ever had in my life and now everything else is unacceptable. That's, I've been doing stuff like that for forever and no one no one believes me that it's good. Like, I've been grilling ribs for forever and everyone's like, you don't grill ribs, you have to slow bake. I'm like, no, no, you put them put them on low indirect heat on the yeah, grill, grill and they're freaking probably. delicious because you get the boast of both. You get that little flame lick and you get that little bit of char and then you get the indirect heat so it might as well be a freaking oven. So I, I 100% believe you, and now I'm going to cook a turkey on my grill. You want to spatchcock it. Okay. I'll teach you how to do it later. We don't have to okay. get gory details. <laughs> that's good. You know where that's a little 
I mean, we were talking about the morbidity of food as it pertains to the Muppets, as it pertains to this particular movie. But that may be a step too far. <laughs> Can we talk about what a dick move it is for Ebenezer Scrooge to bring Mrs. Cratchit that huge chore at the end of the story where he's like, he brings her like that enormous turkey. That that fucker would have taken like at least five hours to and it wasn't seasoned or anything like and she like, and they're spit roasting their their goose, like their Christmas goose. Because they're a tiny, goose, tiny goose that is literally no bigger than a rat. Yeah, because goose is what was affordable during the Victorian period. The Cratchits could afford a goose, but like a turkey's like a different and like a, a, a different animal altogether in like a literal sense, but also in a culinary sense. Like the effort level and the difficulty and the hours that would need to be spent cooking that thing would be terrible. Yeah. But they're poor as shit. He gave them like a week and a half's worth of food. I don't think they'd complain regardless of the level of effort. I mean, At that point, they were just, oh my god, food, we won't starve next week because we spent all of our money this week. Yay! Well, you, don't, you don't know what's going to be left because he also brought like half of the half of fucking London town into their into their home. Like, did he know or did they just kind of follow him? They, they followed. They just him kind of paraded behind him. Cratchit's house. There are two horses in the Cratchit's house. But his nephew Fred is like outside. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's it's even weirder thinking about it because he didn't shoo them away, but he didn't invite them in either. All of London just saw that this rich guy was handing out free shit. They're like, follow him. Maybe we'll give him away more. Who knows? Are we allowed to swear on your podcast? Yes, of course. I just realized I've dropped a couple of F bombs. Of course, it's we, fine. We tried to not do it once, and it, it, it lasted all of all of ten minutes. I was not the first to break, nor the second. But uh, <laughs> we this, this podcast is only ever going to be at best PG thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> like the PG thirteen, you'd probably wait until your kid was like fifteen to show, like Big Fish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would not want to have conversations with a 15 year old that just watched Big Fish <laughs> that does sound awful admittedly That's just, there's just too much to unpack there <laughs> like there and, and 15 at 15 you're still like learning how to be a human so you're terrible and it's not your fault at all you've already learned like the easy parts of being a human like walking and talking and like dressing yourself using the bathroom and now you've got to deal with like the harder parts of figuring out who you are as an individual and that, that's enough to put anyone in a bad mood it isn't their fault well then they have to deal with lying and metaphors and relationships and sex and people lying about relationships metaphors and sex and, and allegory and analogy and like it's, it's a lot it's a lot to take in yeah, no, you really don't want to have to go into concepts of literature while you're also describing how Babby is formed. That's it's too much. <laughs> okay, Big Fish was an example, but, you know. It was a really good one. We yes. have a lot to go on from that one. I haven't seen that movie in years. <laughs> I was actually nine when I watched that movie, and I was like, I probably should have been 15 when I watched that movie. Okay. Back to the Muppets. Back to the Muppets. We're talking about the Muppets Christmas Carol. What have we not covered yet? What are some of everybody's favorite parts that we haven't mentioned? 
I love how uh, how many lines they actually do lift directly from the texts. Like, uh, um, my uh, one of my favorite lines from both the text and the movie is uh, is the the description the the initial uh, description of Scrooge as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, and like I've got it in front of me because it's one of the first lines in the book, but. That was uh, that's a good reminder that Charles Dickens uh, was often paid by the word. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like I'm reading this out of my my Dickens anthology, which is a total of five novels and it weighs five pounds. So, you know that's that's appropriate. But um, it's like Bible paper too. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was paid he was paid by the word and. You can tell, like, even in the even in his works where that is not the case, like A Christmas Carol, um, that like that that uh, impacts his style a lot, and and that was that was just sort of the the style of fiction at that point in time because everything was serialized, everything was paid by the word. That's that's why I like using the completely made up term wordology to talk about people working about in literature and English and whatnot is sometimes wordology feels like a more appropriate description when people have developed a very particular style of explicitly using a particular type of language and words. And it doesn't matter what medium it's in or how they're using it. They stick to that to some degree and it has a distinct style because you can see it in Gaiman and Rowling and, Dickens and pretty much freaking everybody, especially anything that's ever been adapted by the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, but really, like anything that anything that like crosses uh, crosses different types of media, like when when that when that language and that style kind of holds up, like that's I, I feel like that's always like telling of something that works. Mm-hmm. Well, just a level of effort, a love of the material, um, a love of the process. And all of that is kind of needed to, for sustained novel creation. <laughs> it's that is just one of the best things about literature is having having a descriptive style that someone can get nostalgic for. Yeah, and Dickens was definitely one of those. He was like he was very very sentimental. Actually, um, he funded the publication of A Christmas Carol on his own at first because his publishers weren't doing a very, well, they done a very good job of, uh, of, of, you know, doing uh, some of his previous works. And he was really insistent that A Christmas Carol be... Screw you guys, I'll do it myself. Well, yes. <laughs> Pretty much. But he was super exacting about it. Like, the uh, the cover had to be pretty and the end papers had to be pretty, but and it had to be relatively small because he wanted it to be affordable because he wanted the story to be accessible to like the large, you know, London population. He didn't want it to just be a book for the wealthy. He wanted it to be a book for any, for everyone because it was uh, in his view, like such an important social commentary about like how they treated their poor and like what the workhouses were like and the type of uh, the, like the, the, the other like sort of inequities uh of, of London society in, in the 18, in the 1850s. Well, even how it was back then is relevant to like today in America. Mm-hmm. There's a, de- there's definitely room to interpret this <laughs> of a, as a criticism of severe capitalism. Yes. Which is 
we're coming from the Muppets, but also it's still there. No, I, I can't remember Dickens' message, but it's yeah, that's, there's a universe, a universality to it. Uh, you know, where like capitalism and compassion are not always uh, they're not always compatible things. Yes, and sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to set aside your your capitalistic goals in order to be kind to your fellow man, that is the price of being human. Mm-hmm. And that is a hard lesson for people to swallow sometimes, which is why the Muppets make it like an easier and friendlier medium. <laughs> and they do. And they deliver, like we've touched on it several times, they deliver the dark stuff surprisingly well. Um, like I said, Marley and Marley is my favorite musical number in this movie. Yes. And it's done by Statler and Wardolf, of all, of all people. I know. They, and they literally said, they're like, oh, no, we weren't making fun of you. We were heckling you, specifically. <laughs> That's true. I they maintain their identity as hecklers. It's funny because uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol was my first, uh, was my first like real interaction with the story. So I was very confused when I found out that there was only one Marley I know. There's no Marley. It's just Jacob. Okay. Okay. I wanted to. I should have researched that, but I was like, "Isn't there only one in the original story?" Yeah. There there is. Just, yeah. And and the the book really does start with Marley was dead to begin with, dead as a doornail. Um. But yeah, I think that I think that using Statler and Waldorf for the for the Marley, you know, like and, and making the Marley brothers was like a really a really perfect uh, a, a really perfect casting. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bold too, because like you said, they had to split the character, which was shockingly easy to do because Statler and Waldorf uh, are always a pair. Yes, they're almost never separated unless one temporarily blows off or slips on a banana peel or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're they're two ha- like they're two halves of the same coin. Yeah, like, they, it's, don't, it's, they, don't, they only work together. And right, it's not Statler and Waldorf. It's Statler and Waldorf. Well, it's it's one. It's all that goes in the first name column. Yeah. Yes. And it's just it's so great. That the Muppets have that capacity. I know. It's just, I think the Muppets could pretty much adapt most things, and I think it would They work. should. I want to see Muppet Harry Potter. I, want to see I was Muppet just thinking Harry. about that. <laughs> I feel like we have enough, I feel like we have enough in, like, the Potterverse to be getting on with for, like, the next decade or so. Like, I really like their, the, like, classic literature. Like, I want to see more, like, Muppet Shakespeare. Like, Oh, my gosh. You yeah, have, I'm Muppet Macbeth. Out of, out of Muppet, Muppet Macbeth. Like, I don't know how they would do that. I feel like there would be stuffing everywhere, but, like... <laughs> I can tell you right now, they would do it in a TV series as an ongoing skit that they only show you bits and pieces of. So it's basically <laughs> Macbeth out of context. I I can totally see them doing that in a TV series where they sometimes show you the skits that they're doing, but most of the time it's behind the scenes. It would just be Macbeth out of context with Muppets, and it would be amazing. Yes. Yeah, you would get, like, your witch scenes and whatnot. And, like, there are other Shakespeare plays that are probably a little more approachable through the media of, of cute Muppets. Like, I mean, you could definitely do A Midsummer Night's Dream with Muppets. It would be easy. Yes, that would be really easy. And um, I think Hamlet would be really interesting. 
Oh, there would be so many OGs moments. <laughs> they handled it just like that. Someone would look at the camera and go, oh, geez. Oh, my gosh. I feel like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern would have to play, like, a much larger role of, like, of, of just being, like, the confused audience. Like, what are what is happening with these games? They need to calm down and talk to each other. They have, like... I would love to see Statler and Waldorf criticizing Shakespeare as done by the Muppets. Oh my gosh. They yeah, could go so time. they could go so stupidly highbrow for no reason and then go immediately lowbrow for the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, hit shit. Let's quit our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> All you need to do is take over Henson Productions and we're in. I mean, I'm about to file for the LLC, so you know that might happen. Yeah. That's our end goal. When the podcast gets big enough, we're going to buy Hanson Productions, and we're going to make everything. Pretty much. Perfect. I'm going to give a movie star, flip my hair, make all the money, and then, <coughs> yeah, buy the Muppets and do all of the Muppet things. Yeah. That's a realistic goal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice dream, though. It is. I would do anything to work for the Muppets. Oh, yeah. They, they could tell me to kill a man, and I would forgive them for asking me, and then I'd go do it so I could go work and play, <laughs> play with the Muppets. <laughs> Muppets ask, so they must need it. Oh. Yeah. It must be a good reason. Kermit would not ask me to kill a man unless the man needed killing. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so back to the social commentary of this as by Charles Dickens. You know, I actually... To touch on John's, like, mention of capitalism, I think reading this story was, like, the first turn of me becoming anti-late-stage capitalist before I even knew what that meant. Mm-hmm. Well, if we break it down and dropping a lot of the politics, specifically being anti-late-stage capitalist, is mostly just being anti-greedy dick. Pretty much. And that's that's been a theme for any sort of literature aimed at the common person throughout most of history. Yes. Um, yeah, is is like be be kind to people, like maybe stop being so much of a dick and let other people have some food. Even <laughs> if the turkey takes a long time to prepare, <laughs> they would probably <laughs> like some food. A turkey is better than no turkey, for sure. Um, Five hours on a turkey is definitely better than... And, and you're definitely the bad guy if you've ever said something like, it's harvest season for the money lenders. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> like, that's like a, that's a monstrous thing to say, is like, like taking joy and like evicting people from their slums at Christmas time. Like, mm -hmm. And they are explicit that it, this these are slums. Yes. They call them cold and drafty like houses. Yeah, they're not good areas. They they they're not like nice, warm, inviting houses. Like yeah. like even uh even Scrooge's business is like so filthy with like the soot of London that like like you said before, Gonzo is using like Rizzo as a squeegee like Thanks for making me a part of this. Exactly. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, it's actually funny because he's a rat, and they would have been like they—they're like among the the larger group of filth carriers in in cities. Yeah, he does say something that he has several hundred brothers and sisters. Yes, which I thought was extremely appropriate for the era of London that they were in. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a specific problem back then. Led people, to a lot of issues. People just kept 
populating. Yep. Rats. Rats kept populating. And there may have been a plague or two associated with that. Yes. That may be fairly infamous. I... <laughs> Well, those were a bit. Those were a bit earlier on, but like they, the the rats never really like lost the lost their reputation. But to Addison's point, actually, like yeah, there was like a, a severe like population boom during that period, which was making uh you know which was making making it harder to make uh, economic adjustments. Mm-hmm. People were having a lot more kids, but not as many of them were dying anymore. And so <laughs> we got past this whole plague thing, and now children are living past ten, and it's a problem. And like, and now, and now everybody has moved to the city for work because that's now where the work is. But the mm-hmm. the conditions are tight quartered, and they're filthy, and there are scarce resources, and freezing you don't have. You don't have access to like fresh water and like fresh food necessarily if you were poor, like. As they call it, bright and bright and sunny London town. Exactly. Yeah. But Scrooge had a plan for that. To let them die to decrease the surplus population. Yeah. Like that scene had so many amazingly cruel lines. Yeah, it really like, did. Get get the eviction notices prepared to send out. Well, sir, it's Christmas. Very well. You may gift wrap them. Yeah. Yes, like, and, like, That's some lines, super villain shit. Yeah, and a lot of these lines are, again, like they're directly lifted from, from the original story. Like, Dickens was very, very sentimental. That's why you have characters like Tiny Tim and and the the orphan, you know, in, in, this, in this particular adaptation, the, the super cute bunny. Like, that was not. That was a conscious decision. Like they were picking like the most pathetic, like and sympathetic uh, possible character to like demonstrate, like to, to foil against uh, uh, against Scrooge's, you know, like abject cruelty. Yeah, that scene would have been a lot less driving had he been like a really ugly forty-seven-year-old man in the head with a with a wreath. Yeah, like if he if he uh, if he beamed Scooter with with a wreath, you probably would have just laughed at it. Like you wouldn't have like. But Scooter's so nice. Yeah, but he's also like he's also a patsy. He takes everybody's abuse. Like it wouldn't have even. I do. That's quite sad. Like let's let's say we wouldn't feel sympathetic if he if he beamed Big Mean Carl. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Don't feel bad about Big Mean Carl because Turnabout is fair play. (laughs) <laughs> but you have to admit, Bean Bunny is like easily like that's oh, that's yeah. the one that you kind of genuinely feel like it needs taking care of. I know. Yeah. Had they not made Kermit uh, Bob Cratchit, then he would have been the choice for Tiny Tim. I know. But then they would have had to explain how a rabbit and how a frog and a pig make a rabbit. And that's, that's, they didn't want to have kids. That was like, that was pushing the envelope too hard. hard. Like they didn't have to answer a lot of reproductive questions if they were like, yeah, there's some pigs, there's some frogs, everything's fine. Like they're they're divided by gender. Like now you have a weird idea of how. Pig and a frog, it's a pigs and a frog. That's fine. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Oh my. I think that's literally the only thing that kept that rabbit from being Tiny Tim. They literally could just like, you know what? We're just going to, no, we've got this perfect role. It bean, gets beamed by a wreath. Yeah. All right. 
But like then he gets to he gets to to come back and be like be the orphan that mm-hmm. that he like he was that that Scrooge had been so cruel to in the beginning is now the one that he is caring for and engaging with you know uh, like as as his first communication yeah. post post visit yeah post post new empathy organ installed yeah which. Ugly makes the comment that the turkey as big as me, less driving. Turkey as big as a small rabbit's way less impressive than a turkey the size of an actual human orphan. I mean, he's still, uh, he's still like an anthropomorphic bunny. He's not the size of like a, a legit rabbit. He's actually, he's pretty small. He's smaller than most of the rest of the Muppets, That's including true. Kermit, who's supposed to be relatively actual frog-sized. Like, he is extra tiny. But he's just so cute. He is. De- he's definitely not a hundred pound orphan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like the spirit, the spirit of the line still made sense in in the context. <laughs> I mean, I didn't question it at the time. I'm just questioning it now because I'm starting to get hungry. Yeah, yeah. Hundred pound turkey is sounding a lot better than me. Better to me than a fifteen pound turkey. Or however big that rabbit would be. I'm not I'm not particularly well versed in visually eyeing up the weight of rabbits in pounds. Probably like seven pounds. Yeah, it would be that would be like a five to seven pound rabbit, probably. Okay. Five pounds of usable meat. Alright, okay, that that makes more sense. Yes. Also, I'm super sorry. I also grew up in a butcher shop. <laughs> the one who brought up sizing Muppets and or orphans for meat consumption. <laughs> I, I, yeah, but I know how I would break that down into, like, workable food. <laughs> I'm the one who asked the question. Don't feel bad because you have an answer. I'm sorry, Addison. It's so nice to meet you. It's so nice <laughs> to meet you. I've met your husband before. He's absolutely lovely. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I think I met him at like Alex and Terry's party. Yeah, either one of one of theirs or one of mine. Could be. Yeah. That's, that's where everyone meets everyone. Yeah. So I've heard about you because <laughs> like we have a lot of mutual friends, but it's really nice to meet you. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been super fun. This is like one of my favorite favorite movies, and it's one of my favorite adaptations, and it's my very favorite Dickens story. So what's what's really great for me is I've got I whenever I a lot of times when I do these podcasts, I have the movie playing on in the background just so I can remember things. Yeah, we finished out Christmas Carol and now it's loaded to Muppet Treasure Island, which is my second favorite Muppets movie <laughs> because it's absolutely ridiculous and also a novel adaptation. And also Tim Curry acts like he's in a different movie than everyone else. I know. And also you have the frickin' El Duce from Boondock Saints going, Jimmy Jim, Jimmy Jim, Jimmy Jim, Jim! Oh my god, that is him. That is him. I never made that connection. That is another one of my favorites, and I think that Robert Louis Stevenson would have really liked that one, too. I, I hope so. We're gonna. That's gonna be taken out, Addison. This is gonna be a future podcast. Like, we have to cut, we have to cut this line off so we can save it. Yes, we... for another one because I have a lot to say about Muppet Treasure Island because I love Muppet Treasure Island. Dude, we can do like an entire Muppet series. That has a Tim Curry rabbit hole attached to it too, which there's always a lot to talk about about Tim, Tim Curry. Curry. 
It'll make me bring up Fish Police, which is another great rabbit hole of we horrific, delightful nonsense. Oh, yeah. No. I will subject our podcast listeners to Fish Police. Well, I'm very sorry for them, then. <laughs> if they've gotten this far in, they're used to horrible stuff. It's, it's, it's going to be great. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> no, I really like that the idea of being great of just Gonzo and Rizzo together make absolutely great narrative devices. Well, they have such like they have a rapport. Yes, you have a whatever who's unfazed by everything, and then the sarcastic, snarky, friendly guy. And the great thing about Rizzo is, since he is the sarcastic, snarky, but friendly, he's always got something to say which may not be all that empathetic, but when things get serious, Rizzo comes in and he's like, oh God, are they going to be okay? Oh my um, God. Rizzo is the Han Solo of like all of these narratives. Every single time, he's always like the one who's like, is. he's like, okay, I'm into this. What the hell is happening? I, it's fine. I'm into it, but I see, but I need to understand. I want you to explain it to me. Yeah. And the empathy, the empathy is undercut, but it's still there. Yeah. So, yeah. I hadn't made that connection that Rizzo the rat is Han Solo, but here we are. I mean, I don't think Rizzo ever shot first, but <laughs> he's the skeptic. He's the skeptical figure. who's like, He's always the one who is is willing to like bring up the absurdity and 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 just like like welcome a discussion about how absurd everything going on around him is. He without- has also specifically scalped people for fares on a ship before. Yes, that is like one of the subplots of Love and Treasure Island. <laughs> yes, oh my god, yeah, the Rat Cruise Line. I forgot about yes! that. Yes, that was so he specifically. Swindled people on, <laughs> on ship fare. This Han Solo metaphor is going way further than I thought it would. Yeah, I didn't think that was going to really go anywhere. I thought that one was going to fall flat, and I was going to be like, here's my explanation, but you were right on board so fast with that, much yes. like Rizzo would have been. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, Rizzo the Rat equals Han Solo. That's We've, we've broken through something today. <laughs> we just discovered something that could potentially be someone's thesis one day. Mm. True. Well, I mean, like the Muppet, like the, the the Muppet universe is pretty extensive, and it does extend into uh, into Star Wars very easily. Yoda is played by Frank Oz. Yes. Also, Miss Piggy. So, and a number of the other Muppets. Oh yeah, no one ever plays just one Muppet. Is that how that works? Yeah. They're like at least like five Muppets. They have such a great range too. Like we we haven't really talked about that. It's just the auditory range of the Muppets. Like a lot of the voices are absurd and a lot of them are similar, but they just so good about being consistent and distinct that that doesn't matter. The characters stand out. I mean, we've already talked about how the Muppets always manage to stand alone as actual people. Yeah. And not just caricatures. And but they're also very relatable. Like, I think that, that just about everybody has, like, one, has, has a Muppet who's either their very, very favorite or who they see themselves in. And those two mm-hmm. things might not be mutually exclusive, but, yeah. like. But, yeah, like, the, the visual, the, uh, we always get stuck on the visual and the um, puppetry aspect of it, but the, 
I mean, part of it is just straight up voice acting. Yeah, and it's that it is a big part of what they're doing is just legitimate voice acting with a lot of extra steps and a lot of extra work. But um, voice acting is a skill into itself. It's a lot of specific work to be yeah. able to properly emote through something else while not being visually apparent and having to adapt it from something else's face and something else's gestures and something else's mannerisms apart yes. from your own. And all of these people do that with like five different Muppets. Yeah, there's like a very kinetic element to it. Like I mm -hmm. think you probably have to be in pretty good shape if you're like a Muppeteer. Oh, you have to, to be. Make distinguishable styles with not just the actions, but the voice is it, they're an incredible cast. Yeah. Just not just from the puppetry, but from voice acting and everything else. They are they are top to bottom, really damn good at what they do. Yeah, the Miss Piggy Huff comes to mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the. <laughs> yeah, Miss Piggy is Miss Piggy is definitely one of those more absurd voices, but they've been so consistent and distinct with it. Yes, and not just not just distinct. Miss Piggy has several different voices herself. She has her conversation voice, her stressed voice, her serious about the kick you in the stomach voice, her yeah. diva voice, and all of them stand out. And they're always the the, the actor is always good at all of them. Yeah, it's, yeah, she has she has a really dynamic personality, but like mm -hmm. it makes her it makes her believable as a creature that is alive off camera mm -hmm. it is a man voice acting a female pig and damn if you don't believe it like she's like the most feminine character of all time like she's like the original character because she has like this really big personality and she's smart and savvy and funny she's a successful businesswoman she's feminine as hell but she can also kick ass like <laughs> she's a very well-rounded. She's she's a, a powerful female character. Yeah, so, and everyone she has been listening. For decades. Everyone listening. I know every last one of you who's ever watched something with a Muppets just heard the Miss Piggy hi ya sound. And Danny called her badass. <laughs> that definitely played in your head, and it was so perfectly distinct that it had a separate sound from every other time you've heard anyone else ever say hi -ya. It's a distinct memory in your head of it Miss is. Piggy going hi -ya! and just No, it is it is pretty well ingrained. Like Miss Piggy is the Muppet that like I want to be. I think I'm more like I'm more like Uncle Deadly. Like I have 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 like I'm I'm the 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 tiny weird dragon. I have a voice for silent films. Like it's <laughs> 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 like the 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 epitome the epitome of like feminine badassery. She doesn't let anything stop her or stop her from doing the same thing, but in heels. Exactly. She is unstoppable. And that's really her archetype. No matter how flawed she is, she is unstoppable. Yes. And that's what I've always loved about her. Like, she had goals and she got shit done. Mm-hmm. Miss Piggy gets shit, gets shit done. And she doesn't let anybody... She doesn't let anybody else dictate how she gets it done, either. Mm -hmm. She's got a distinct amount of bullshit she'll take, and then she will karate chop you in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> you and all of your friends, because in that, like they've 
Who did that in the original Muppets movie? She she played the damsel in distress for a short period of time, and then when it turned out Kermit couldn't save her, she just whooped everyone's ass. <laughs> She's like, I'm willing to play this role, but now that it's not working, screw this noise, and just shit wrecked everyone. The puppets are pe- the, the Muppets are people to look up to. I mean, like, most of them. Yeah, no, no one should be Big Mean Carl. No. Don't look up to Big Mean Carl. <laughs> or Crazy Eddie. Both of those bad, bad. Most of the main cast are people to look up to. But you know what? Big Mean Carl and and at all, uh, they are always still, like, they're validated. Like, well, like Sweetums a fun- is a different category than Big Mean Carl. We never see Sweetums eat a sentient creature alive. No, that's true. I think he does, like, some more, like, picking up and throwing sort of things, but, like... He has a club. Yeah. But Sweetums is always helpful. But the Muppets are very good about, like, validating, like, all of, like, the full spectrum of emotions. Like, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. Like, you know, and, like, that's why, like, the why the Muppets were so successful. Why Sesame Street continues to be successful. Like, they have a character called Oscar the Grouch, and he is very beloved, you know, and like that's it. Okay, he's an angry to... homeless man. Yeah, but you're allowed to be grumpy and sarcastic as long as you still have a good heart. Like that's that's all that matters. Like all all way all ways of 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 feeling are are okay in the Muppet world. I want to correct that Oscar the Grouch homeless thing. He's not homeless. Trash he cans. Garbage. He lives in a garbage can. Right, which is the natural habitats for grouches. Yeah, but, I mean, if you lived in a hard cardboard box, if anyone other than Oscar the Grouch lived in a garbage can, we would still call them homeless. I think he's doing his own thing, and we should be proud of him. Yeah, voluntarily, as far as yeah, I can tell. It's distinctly a choice that he's making. Like, he's super right. territorial about his garbage can and everything. It's like, his garbage can. Like, yeah, if someone like lived in their just, car, we'd still call them homeless, but we wouldn't say they didn't own the car. No, that's true, but like, if I remember correctly, there's, uh, and, and it's admittedly been a number of years since I've seen Sesame Street, because I am I am not a child, nor do I have any children, um, but, like, there's, like, a little bit of, like, like sort of, like, Sesame Street voodoo, where, like, there's more to that, there's more to the garbage can than just the garbage can, much like Snoopy's house from, like, the Peanuts comics. I do seem to vaguely recall that it is bigger on the inside. Yeah, like like Snoopy and in the Peanuts comics. Is Oscar the Grouch a time lord? Van Gogh and his doghouse. Like, are we? Is Oscar the Grouch a time lord? Is that where we've ended up? I mean, they did do that one real Muppety episode of Doctor Who during like the the David Tennant and Martha. And they can all get pretty grouchy. Let's be real. Yeah, they do have, like, a... That Smith one was pretty grouchy most of the time. Yeah, they all have some anger issues. He's just the the one incarnation we don't talk about. That one generation that went a little awry, so he found a nice little street. Generation X. For us to get a woman Doctor Who, they're definitely not going to acknowledge a Muppet Doctor Who. (laughs) I like the optimism that Muppets would come after... A woman doctor. I yeah, know. I don't believe that at all, honestly. <laughs> I don't either. I can't see the internet getting really upset and just hate mailing people because 
we're going to have him up a doctor, whereas the opposite did happen. As you just said, because there's a lot of legitimate, like, like gripes you could have with the current season, just none of them have anything to do with Jodie Foster. Or the doctor being female. Jodie Whittaker. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I want Jodie Foster as a Time Lord now. Right? That's, that's good for me. I haven't seen the new series, and so I wasn't completely prepared to speak on it, but I was like, I am sure it's not Jodie Foster. It can't be, right? I would know if it was. Like, I want a Jodie Foster Time Lord. Yeah, like, I would watch that, but... <laughs> that sounds amazing. I do need to catch up. Coming on. after the Oscar the Grouch season. <laughs> Probably. Which I'd watch. I'd watch all of that. Yeah, I would watch... Like, I don't watch Doctor Who now, but I'd watch Oscar, Oscar the Grouch as a Time Lord and Jodie Foster as a Time Lord. Yep. Okay. I think we have talked so much about Muppets and so much about other things. And I've really enjoyed all of it. But I think it is time to wrap up. It's probably fair. We've, we've segued a lot. We got to Oscar the Grouch being the Time Lord and then me misnaming the Doctor. So More than more than jumped the shark on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Took that, put that shark on a sea dew and then had that shark on a sea dew jump another shark. <laughs> uh, the moral of this story is a Muppet Christmas Carol is is a great adaptation and probably it probably would have been Dickens' favorite. I absolutely I love, I love thinking about that. Like Dickens would watch that and he goes, "Not bad, not bad." Yeah, because it's funny. He like he had a great sense of humor and like. It's hilarious, and it still touches on all of, like, the social issues that he was concerned about, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it has all of the sentiments that he would have wanted in it, and it was, like, beautifully packaged in just, like, preciousness, which was really important to him. Yeah, they fully Muppetized it, but they they were very... They were very faithful. ...with the source material, which is just... That's such a Muppet thing to do. I know. And I love that that's a Muppet thing to do. All right. We love the Muppets. I do want to talk about Muppet Treasure Island and pretty much every Muppet movie. I'm definitely on board for that. Okay. (laughs) All right. But I think it is time to say goodbye. Yeah, we're at wrap-up time. Yeah. So, All right, uh, I'll start with the sign-offs, and uh, just please be whoever your favorite Muppet would want you to be. Oh, that's like the most wholesome thing I have ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> I might put that on a t-shirt. A little, a little maudlin, but again, Dickens would have really appreciated it. Be your best Muppet. Yeah, guys, it's the holiday season, whatever you celebrate, whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Yule or whatever you choose to celebrate, however you choose to celebrate it, be the person the Muppets want you to be. Is anyone going to say it? Is anyone going to say, God bless this, everyone? Oh, may whatever generic <laughs> or specific deity you worship not bear down a horrible wrath upon you this holiday season. And thank 
God for advances in technology. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to lie, looking at this seems really awful without power heat. <laughs> yeah, this movie makes a really good, good, good affirmation of central heat. Yes. All right. Or any heat. Literally anything better than coal. I like anything better than coal. Yeah, just whatever it is. Better better than a few heaps of coal in the fire. <laughs> All right, so I I think that's it. Um, I've been Addison. I've been John. And I've been Danny. All right, thank you guys so much for watching, and keep it extra and unordinary. Bye.